Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm Stephanie Schaefer here with the PMB. Yes, ma'am. And we wanted to take a moment and stop our normal programming to talk about something that you've been really wanting to get yeah, into absolutely. right now. So you want to share what we're talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about suicide today. And obviously, it's been on a lot of your uh, your hearts and your minds. And, you know, I've not wanted to talk about it because I, I think too many, there were too many voices at first. Yeah. And so I took a step back. And so um, last Thursday, I got a text from a good friend of mine. And he just said, I, I just don't know what's going on. Um, you know, he calls me pastor, but we're also friends. We've been friends since high school. And his wife's uh, husband, excuse me, his wife's husband, his wife's father had committed suicide in their home. And he just said, he just said, what is going on? And so I just thought, okay, Lord, I, I need to push past um, uh, just my own, my own fears and anxieties of talking about it. Because the reality is today, when you take a biblical stand on anything, you're going to get clobbered. And so in the name of love, what we do is we push out God's love to us, which is God's word. And so I just want to provide some, some biblical clarity in an age of biblical ignorance. And so people are not coming at this from what does the Bible teach and say, but we're, we approach suicide with how do I feel? And so when we're a feeling-based society, we really, really struggle with truth. And so today, I, I hope to offer you grace and truth. I want to, I want to, I want to have grace, especially uh, for those of you who are battling depression, mental illness, anxiety, fear. Uh, you've lost someone to suicide. Um, but I also want to give you truth, and we have to do both. And this is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. So I hope that you know my heart is in the right place. I have waited. Um, you know, since we lost locally, uh, another pastor, um, that's been all over the news, um, on suicide awareness that weekend, I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure what day it was. Um, and so I just wanted to provide, I think an alternative voice, which I think is important for what we've been hearing, because I think we've got, we've gotten a lot of love, acceptance, acceptance, um, you know, prayer, hope. Um, and I think that's great and, and we need that. But we also need to know what the Bible says, has to say specifically about suicide and, and, and just sin in general. And so, um, you know, if you're listening and you're looking for you know, an opportunity to critique, I'm sure I'm going to give you uh, plenty of ammo. So, uh, but just know my heart is to point people to the reality that what we do in this life matters and that we will all stand before God. And, it, you know, it doesn't matter what popular opinion is today. What matters is God's opinion. In the end, that's what matters. And so I want to just talk about that. So let's go ahead and start. Yeah. And you can ask the first question. Yeah. So uh, Brian wrote in and said, my family and many others recently lost a friend to suicide this past week. As we grieve and wrestle with the fact that he's gone, what does scripture say in regard to suicide? Is this an open-handed issue or something God clearly states? Right. So the Bible has seven examples of suicide in uh, in the Bible at its best probably would be Samson at its worst is Judas. And then there's all kinds of people in between many of them that you've maybe never heard of uh, in the Bible. And they commit suicide for various reasons, shame, uh, pain, anguish, depression, um, all kinds of reasons. Uh, none of them are portrayed in a positive light. And I certainly would not put them all in the same basket mm -hmm. um, because there's a difference between Judas and Samson. There's clearly a difference. But here's what I would say is uh, the, the New Testament doesn't specifically address the issue of suicide. And the reason for that is the whole point of the New Testament is bringing us from a point of death to life. And so the trajectory of the New Testament is, is not only how to keep your current life, but it's also so that you may have eternal life. And so just know that the, that the, inf the, 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 um, the emphasis of the Christian Bible is life. 
It's life. It's overcoming death. And But here's what the, the Bible does say, the Christian Bible. It does say that the last enemy to be defeated is death. And so we, we need to understand that, that, that death is, is the result of sin. And it's something that needs to be extinguished by God in the ultimate end. And so it's not a good thing. It's not. And um, we should approach it as that. So what does the scripture say in regards to suicide? What I would say is, let, let's go to Jesus. Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? And he says, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so um, in regards to God, um, in regards to all three, I think suicide's a sin. And I think it's very clear. And I'm going to, I'm going to, share why. I think that suicide is a sin to God because it violates the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And and literally here it is in the Hebrew, don't kill. Uh, or you could translate it, no kill. I mean, that's literally what it means. Um, so it's a violation of that commandment. And so um, part of the way that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is you are obedient to his commandments. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult in our Western understanding of love to just, just kind of live in that. And so it's, you can't be loving God and disobeying his commandments. Those are two different things. And so it violates that. Secondly, it violates love your neighbor because one of the things that I hear is, uh, you know, on the post, well, at least they're not in pain. That's a lie by the devil. Suicide does not end pain. It transfers it to everybody that loves you, cares about you, needs you, uh, misses you, and it magnifies it. So, so it transfers it and it magnifies it uh, because as you're wrestling with suicidal thoughts, mental illness, there's still hope. Once you take your life, there's no hope that we can fix this. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're left with the result of you losing your battle or struggle. And, and, and then we're left with the guilt of, I could have done this, I could have done that. Um, and so it, it just, it just wreaks havoc uh, on people that care about you and love you and their lives are never going to be the same, mm-hmm. never going to be the same. And, and, and just listen to me, many of you, I mean, I hope you never have to walk through suicide as many times as I have. And it's been, it seems to be increasing more and more people go through this and it's just awful and it, it literally excruciating for people. And then I think it violates the last portion of that commandment, which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. God has called you to love yourself and care for yourself. And um, your body matters, your life matters. And literally, you know, mental illness is, you know, or what suicidal thoughts is, I don't matter. I don't care. This hurts. I'm going to do harm to my body. Whereas the Bible says your body is the temple of the living God, and you're to love your body, care for your body, and you're to steward your body. And specifically, Paul says this in Corinthians, that your body's not your own, that you've been bought with a price if you're a Christian. And so we are to honor God with our bodies. And so our body is not something that is evil. It is something that is to be honored as a creation of God. And so I would just say that suicide is sin. And so you say, well, that's easy for you to say that sitting in a room without, you know, uh, literally people who've been impacted this. And I want you to know that one of my best friends in the whole world, son killed himself and it was terrible and it was awful. And he asked me to do the funeral. And I'm telling you that I said, I will not do the funeral unless you let me say this is sin. And here's why it is. That doesn't mean that, you know, uh, this young man's name was Steven. He was somebody I knew. Uh, I was going to be doing his wedding. We were super excited about his future. 
And I had to say that, and I think it's important that we say that because when we when we call it anything less than sin, what we're doing is we're encouraging people, um, specifically people who are on a level of, of mental illness and struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts that's manageable. Some people, right, we can't lump everybody together in the same pot, right? We all have different issues and different struggles, and we have to deal with each situation as a case-by-case basis rather than coming up with a blanket statement. But 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 it is sin. And so I just didn't want, especially when people are grieving, when people are hurting, and, and many people are going through the most difficult time in their life, I don't want to say that this is anything but wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this is what I said at Stephen's funeral. In those last moments, Satan's words had victory. But we trust that in the end, the words of Jesus will have victory. The life of Jesus will have victory. But we have to call sin, sin, and we have to call Jesus a savior. And I have to tell you, this was a moving, moving ceremony where many people gave their lives to Christ. And many people came up to me, literally said, I was contemplating suicide. And I'm so glad that you called this what it is, because if you don't call it sin, people don't know to turn from it. Mm -hmm. So then, 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 um, you know, without calling it sin, what we're telling people is this is an option for you. If you find yourself in a situation where you don't have hope where you don't, um, you know, and I mean, that's just like saying, well, if you feel like your marriage isn't working, adultery is an option. Mm-hmm. And that it's, that's not an option for you as a Christian. That, that, that's going to bring more pain, more suffering, more heartache. And that's what sin always does. So I think in the name of wanting to um, recognize technology and, and things we know about brains and the way they work and don't work and happen, what we've done is we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we've said, well, it's not a sin because God won't hold people accountable for mental illness. And what I'm saying is back the truck up, let's go to what scripture says and let's call sin, sin. And again, I say this all the time at Sandals Church. I don't have a hard time getting people to believe in a loving God and a savior. I have a hard time getting people to believe they're sinners. And that's where the devil's doing his best work today is getting us to call sin anything but sin. So um, that's that's what I think the Bible says. It, it is sin and, and we need to, to reject that. And again, sin is not evil in the Bible. It can be sin. The biblical definition is missing the mark, falling short of the glory of God. So you could say it this way. Suicide is not the best for your life. It is not the best for your situation. It is not the ideal. And so regardless of the situation, I would say let's look at as many options as we possibly can before we even consider that. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, uh, th- those are my thoughts. Every pastor is able to shepherd his own flock or her own flock in the way that they deem. My responsibility is to about the 20,000 people that call Sandals home. And so my job is to guide you. Uh, in the best that I can, so that when you stand before God, you've been taught correctly. And there's a lot of cultural pressure to not say what I'm saying, but in the end, you don't stand before culture, you stand before God. And so I want you to have the right information. Uh, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. And literally, you know, the Christian's job is to fulfill literally the task that's been given to them. And suicide always cuts that short. Mm. So... All right. So Amanda also wrote in and said, when one of our local pastors committed suicide a few months ago, my husband kept asking why everyone says he's at peace and in heaven now. When we learned in church that if we take our own lives, we go to hell. I don't know how to answer these questions. And now my husband is questioning everything he's learned in church. Right. So I've done a lot, a lot of research on this and, and I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, 
But the only thing that I can find is is the Baltimore Catechism, and it's it's literally um, a statement of fate by the Catholic Church that has the most aggressive stance on suicide. And, and basically, what it says is, if you commit suicide, you can't you can't be buried uh, on the church grounds, and in some cases, you are not allowed um, a church funeral. Uh, but basically. You know, let me just say this. When somebody commits suicide, it, it puts us in a difficult situation. So I don't agree with that. Uh, Catholics have backed away from that. Pope John Paul backed away from that, I believe, in 1992. Uh, they've stepped back from that. Um, it says why everyone says he's in peace. And so here's what I would say. What we need to do as Christians is speak truth. We don't know where anybody is when they die. We, we don't. Like, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. You know, he's talking about pastors. Mm. He's talking about pastors, you, you know, your grandma, all these people who externally seemed really, really great, but internally did not have a relationship with God. So here's what we know about suicide. You're dead and you died too soon. That's what we know. Those are the facts. So outside of a specific revelation from God, where literally God speaks to us and says, this person is in heaven with me, which can happen, and that's a whole nother podcast, um, then, then we shouldn't say where they are definitively mm-hmm. because it confuses the flock. And, and so what it says is you can sin and, and I, I just wouldn't say that. What I would say is we know this, that the work of Christ on the cross is greater than your sins. But ultimately, here's where people go when they die. They do not go into the arms of Jesus. They do not go into the gates of heaven. They do not sing with the angels. Here's where people go when they die, whether you take your own life or your life ends. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is not your best friend. Jesus is your king. He is the king of the universe. He is the king of all things. And God, his father, has entrusted judgment day to him. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we, he's talking about Christians, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He says the same thing in Romans 14. Uh, James says that, not many should become teachers because they will face a greater judgment. And part of the confusion theologically, and I hope to write on many things one day if I can write a book, but is the confusion between the term condemnation in, in your Bible and judgment. And so, um, you know, no sin is unforgivable outside of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe suicide is that. I, I just don't believe that that's, that's what it is. Um, but what happens is, as, as a believer, if you commit suicide, you are now standing before the throne of Christ, and you are being judged for both the good and evil that you have done in life. And this is, this is where a lot of Christians is, because we don't know the Bible, um, we've missed this. And I, I mean, all—John talks about this judgment. Peter talks about this judgment. Paul talks about this judgment. Jesus talks repeatedly at this judgment. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews says— that judgment will begin with the household of God. So that means it starts with me and you, and then the world. So we, we have to understand that we're all going to give an account for our lives, and this is why Catholics and Anglicans have created a thing called purgatory, because they don't know what to do with this place of judgment where you stand before God and you're held accountable for the bad stuff you've done in your life. Um, and specifically the post-conversion stuff you've done in your life. And, uh, and then even more specifically, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So even more specifically, it would be the non-confessed sins 
in your life. And so um, we have to deal with that and struggle that. And so just here's what I would say is, here's the promise. And, and again, it's, it's in front of you. And it's once you hear me say this, you're going to go, oh, I don't know how I missed it. The gift of Christ is eternal life. It is not a pass from judgment. What it means is you will not be condemned. It does not mean you will not be judged. We've turned the whole Bible into God's love for mankind, which is true. But from beginning to end, it is all about this upcoming day of judgment that we're not ready for. And let me just tell you this. The non-Christians certainly are not ready for it, but many Christians are not ready for it. And so when you read the parables, when Jesus talks about servants, when Jesus talks about his people, and he comes back and they're not ready, he's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about his people, and he's going to deal with them. And um, we're, we're just off on that. So when we take our own lives, I think it's important that we say, we don't know whether you went to heaven. We don't know whether you went to hell. What we say is, you went to Jesus, to the throne of Jesus, and God decides. God ultimately decides. He's God. I'm not. Um, you know, what he said in his word is that, you know, someone who truly believes and who's truly trusted in Christ is completely forgiven. The dilemma is, for us as Christians, is then how does a person who's been born again ultimately take their own life? That That's that's the struggle. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it should be extraordinarily rare. Um, and, uh, and, and, and suicide should be avoided at all costs. Um, you know, because it's, it's possible that, you know, Christians commit adultery, that Christians lie, Christians steal. Um, you know, Christians can kill themselves. I mean, that's right. So it's a violation of the sixth commandment towards oneself. And, um, and it's important that we say that. Um, and, and let me just say, I, I know that's difficult. I know that's tough. I know you probably haven't heard of that, but a lot of pastors feel this way. They're just afraid to say it because they don't want to just get piled up on as being unloving, uncaring. And again, I'm not saying that people go to hell. I'm saying we don't know because the truth is we don't know who anybody really is. And oftentimes what happens in suicide is suddenly we become aware of an internal struggle that we didn't know about. And, and that's what's happened time and time again with my friends that have committed suicide is they weren't honest with me about the level of what was going on, about the internal conflict. And so on that end, that's where I do agree with many people that we need to take shame away from mental illness. We need to encourage people who are struggling with depression who are struggling with suicidal thoughts, who are struggling with mental illness. We need to take away shame from that, but we don't need to say that suicide's okay. We need to encourage people to come forward and say, um, you know, in, in, at Sandals Church, in the same way I could say, you know what, I've been struggling with lustful thoughts this week. I would hope that somebody could say, I've been struggling with suicidal thoughts. I, I feel like it would be better for me to end my life. I would hope that you could share that with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's important. And, and I think the church has a role to play. And just so you know, I mean, I have Kaiser. Do you have Kaiser? I don't know who does your no, church. we have the other one. Okay, you have the other <laughs> one. So we have Kaiser. And so I got onto Kaiser's website mm -hmm. and I just, I just Googled suicide. And one of the things Kaiser encourages you to do is talk to your pastor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's literally, I'm one of the people. And so that's the thing is you say, well, you're not a mental expert. Well, let me tell you what the mental experts are saying. They're saying, talk to your pastor. And here's why. I think for far too long, the church ignored the scientific and biological nature of depression and suicide. And that was wrong. Now, I think we think people are cars that we can just work on. And if we can just get the prescription right, we're going to fix you. And we've neglected the spiritual nature of these things. And so I, I admire and appreciate Kaiser Permanente saying, 
look, both clergy and doctors have a role to play in this. And so we need both. We absolutely need both. And I, I encourage people who are struggling with some kind of mental illness or depression to get help, to get help, but don't neglect the spiritual nature of your struggle. Just, just don't, you know, the church used to neglect the biological nature. Now we're neglecting the spiritual nature and there isn't a pill for everything. Some things we need to work through, we need to talk about, and we need to, you know, hand over to Jesus and and be in community with the church to say, Hey, these are very real issues that I'm struggling with. And all the research shows when you isolate yourself, you increase your negative thoughts, which is why the Bible says, let us not forsake the gathering of believers as some people do, but let us come together to encourage one another all the more. So what that's saying is the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more encouragement and relationships we need. And today that we have the less of that. So I know that was a long answer. No, I think that was really good. So Ethan wrote in and said, um, has a different example. It says, during the 9-11 terrorist attack, some people chose to die by jumping off the building to avoid burning to death. Is that considered committing suicide? He says, in that case, did the people who chose to jump go to hell or do the circumstances change the result? Yeah. And see, this this is just, this is this is what drives me batty. Um, we just get into these these just weird discussions when this comes up and it's because there isn't clarity. And again, I, I don't know who those people were. I don't know what their lives were. And ultimately what matters is not that they jumped off the tower. Did they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Here's where the argument is non sequitur. Uh, I've heard it compared to, um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, morbid rumination. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows what morbid rumination is. And so this is just this thought process where the brain is telling you to kill yourself. That's an internal struggle. Whereas in 9-11, these people are not running from internal things. Mm-hmm. They're running from a very, very real external fire, you know, and none of those people woke up that day and thought about anything except going to work, making money and providing for their families. And now they're in a huge building that's on fire and, and they're not running to kill themselves. They're running from flames. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. And, you know, again, God is God. And in the end, Jesus Christ decides. He decides. So he knows ultimately, right? That's why there's books with with names written in them and names not written in them. And we don't know. And so we shouldn't speak upon those things. My job is not to speak upon who gets into heaven and who doesn't. My job is to preach the gospel, to teach what sin is, and to teach what righteousness is. Suicide, sin. Righteousness is working through issues, no matter what they are. Uh, I have a lot of sin in my life. I got a lot of I got a lot of things in my life that are not Christ-like. I got to work through those, and so so I would just say, I would just say that's a ridiculous question. Sorry, Ethan, I love you, I appreciate you. It, it just it's just so separate from what we're talking about. Um, and again, uh, that's something that was thrust upon them, and and then people say, well, people didn't choose this. And I understand, but the difference between, you know, internal struggles is you you have a segue where you can try to work through things, try to get help. Those people in those buildings, they they couldn't get help. There there was no one that could save them because of where they were. If you're struggling with morbid rumination, man, we have doctors, we have medications, we have pastors, counselors. There's all kinds of people that can try to help you and we can get to you if you come to us. Those people on those towers, they couldn't get to anybody. Mm-hmm. They were isolated and and totally alone. They they could not be saved, despite all, all of the human efforts. And so, uh, we just need to be really careful that we we don't we don't have these these conversations where they just get bizarre. Mm-hmm. So so thank you, Ethan, for your question. Hopefully, I didn't slam you too bad. All right, so I want to shift a little bit because I think a lot of folks now are wondering 
what do we do? How do right. we respond um, when someone we know or someone in our community commits suicide? Uh, someone wrote in and just simply asked, is it non-empathetic to be angry at this action? Yeah, I, I think that anger is, um, I, I, I've been angry at some friends who've killed themselves. In other instances, I've been shocked. Um, in other instances, I've just been brokenhearted. And again, it depends upon the situation. Um, you know, when I've, I've had people in my life who've battled mental illness and just have struggled and fought and ultimately they lost. I had a lot more sympathy for them. Um, I've had people that just, they just got into darkness. They got into sin. They got into isolation. They made bad choice after bad choice. And ultimately they chose suicide as a way out rather than repentance. And I was angry. And again, that's why it's so important that you you look at every case on a case-by-case basis. And when you don't know the person, you don't know the person. Um, you know, like uh, Pastor Jared at Harvest, um, I, I knew him. I didn't know him well. So I would say our total, our total time together in conversation would be le- less than an hour or maybe a little over an hour totally. So it's not my place to to judge or make a statement upon who he was or what he did. Now I've had other friends that, man, I, I wrestled with, I talked with, I challenged, I encouraged. Um, and ultimately I was super angry when they made a choice and, um, you know, that, that's just the reality. So like I had a friend that was lying to his doctor. So like you, if you're going to your doctor and your doctor is prescribing you medications. And let me just say this, almost all of these medications say don't take with alcohol, don't take with recreational drugs, you know, don't take with any drugs. If you are on anything, tell your doctor. And my friend was lying to his doctor. Mm. So he was self-medicating. And then the doctor's putting him on literally psychotropic drugs from a hospital. And it, it just magnified the situation. And so that's what I would say is, you know, if you're asking the doctor to help you, be 100% honest with the doctor about what's going on and and tell them, Hey, I'm abusing this, or I'm abusing that, or I'm injecting myself with this, or, you know, I smoke a little weed. I do some steroids. I'm, I, I, you know, I mess around with meth, you know, or whatever it is. And I tell Sandals all the time, we lie to two groups of people more than any other, our doctors and our pastors. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you people, we are not honest. And so That's why the vision of Sandals Church is to be real. Your best chance at overcoming suicidal thoughts and depressions is absolutely 100% authenticity. Jesus said the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And so the enemy's power and darkness is in lies. Um, So I've had situations where I was just really, really angry. I've, I've done funerals where it was just really hard for me to say anything positive about the person. And then I've done funerals where I, I was so broken and so upset and so saddened because I didn't know, you know, the level of their struggle. And unfortunately at Sandals, I've done a lot of suicidal uh, funerals or funerals from the result of suicide. And um, it's just, again, it's literally, it's like a bomb that goes off in families, friends and church. And, mm-hmm. and we will never be the same. And, and, and sometimes it causes people to, to think about taking their own life. I mean, it, it it literally has like this effect where there's, there can be a couple or two or three. And I think we're seeing that in our culture. And especially when we're not saying, Hey, don't do this. This is wrong. We've created a cultural window where this is acceptable. And this is why, you know, like in, in cultures, like in Japan, it's, it's far more prevalent because it's culturally acceptable Mm -hmm. and it's just, well, that's the better way to, to go. And, um, 
you know, I just, I just would say, yes, it's okay to be angry in this situation. I, I wouldn't go and do a rant or a post and, um, because then that just comes off as yeah. not compassionate. In your can, anger, don't Yeah, sin. in your anger, don't sin. And so I think you got to be really, really careful that you just don't go off on somebody. And just, let me just say this, grief, I think we all get a pass on, on how we handle grief initially. Eventually, you got to handle it the right way. But there, there's a window there where you just, you just don't know what to do and you don't know what to feel. And, you know, sometimes people can be overly compassionate. And I think that's what some people are reacting to. And then some people are overly angry, critical, and self-righteous and, and both are wrong. And so, um, but I think that when, when somebody loses their life to suicide, I think we need to be angry at the devil because ultimately that's a win for him. And again, Jesus said, John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. The devil has come, the thief, to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what suicide does. It steals your life. It steals you from us. It destroys not only your life, but those who loved you. And it kills you. If you're successful, it kills you. And um, it's a brutal, brutal thing. And so um, I don't know that I believe in empathy anyways. So unless you, <laughs> I think you can be sympathetic. I think em- empathy is just this lie we've created. I cannot put myself in your shoes. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be Stephanie to, to give birth to a child. <laughs> I mean, right. What do I got to do? Sit in a yoga pose and I'm just going <laughs> to tap into what it means to be Stephanie. I mean, I think empathy is just, it's a cultural lie that we've, mm. we've created. I think you should be sympathetic, which means you should try to understand but ultimately, I can't. I can't see it from your perspective, and and I think we. I think we do great harm when people think they're empathetic and they go, "Oh, I know exactly how you feel." Yeah. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. And um, I, I, I just think our, our culture is full of lies that we say to cover grief because we don't know how to grieve. So. Yeah. All right. So April wrote in and said, "Shame is a big thing for me." With that being said, I struggle with feelings of shame due to suicide. When people ask me about my husband and my kid's dad, I cringe with shame knowing he took his own life. I feel less than others and wish so much more for my family. How can or will I ever be able to accept that it's not my shame to carry around? And will Jesus forgive me for feeling so ashamed of what happened? Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, we, I, I feel like we've almost, we've almost romanticized suicide and put a bow on it. You know, happy ending in heaven with Jesus. No more, no more shame, no more pain, no more hurt. Well, even if you're in heaven, the, the results of your, your sin are putting us through hell here. And that's mm-hmm. what's happening to April. Um, April, I hope that you listen to my sermon this week because shame is one of the ways that the devil attacks, particularly the heart triad. And, um, and he gets us from different ways. And, and again, you know, I know people are concerned about the Enneagram, but it's very, very helpful to get me to be sympathetic or at least to get me to try to understand somebody who's coming at it from a different perspective. And so this is why, again, you know, empathy is just so late. April, I have no idea what it's like to lose a husband. I'm A, I'm not a woman. B, I'm not married to a man. You know, C, I've not lost a spouse in this way. So I have no idea what it's like. Um, I think the reality is the truth will set you free. I think getting to the place in life where you can simply say, this is what my husband did. And it was not your choice. It was not your kid's choice. Uh, it was wrong. And, and again, for everybody that's going to lose their minds at what I just said, you know, April's kids are going to wonder, and I hear this over and over again from children whose parents commit suicide. And here's what I hear. Why wasn't I worth living? I hear it over and over again. Why wasn't I worth it? Why w- why couldn't he fight for me, save me? And what it does is it creates this lack of self-worth in a child. And unfortunately, 
parents who take their lives, their children are far more likely to attempt and or to struggle with it. And that's why we need to say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it because this is a bomb for your family. Let's not talk about April's struggle financially. Let's not talk about April's struggle, you know, like uh, now, now her children, I mean, children that are sexually abused are most likely abused by a man who's biologically not their father, right? It's, so in April, hopefully I didn't freak you out there. Uh, but, you know, men who are not the biological male in your children's life can be dangerous, far more dangerous than a biological male. And that's just a part of the sickness of our society. Um, so now that I've gone off, sorry, um, you shouldn't feel less than others. Mm -hmm. Look, the reality is it has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and here's where I think that the enemy just plays on your shame. You could have done more. You should have done more. If you could have just been there, tried more. Ultimately, here's the sad thing. If people want to kill themselves, we can't stop it. We can't. You, you, cannot, you cannot prevent a person from killing themselves outside of incarcerating people with mental illness. And our, our society has said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And even, I mean, shoot, what's the guy Epstein? Mm -hmm. He just killed himself literally on, on a watch. So, I mean, if you're determined, it could happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, he did so, and he was supposed to be on like a 24-hour watch. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't, you know, know all that stuff, but... It just, just know you've got to not blame yourself because what does the devil do? The devil accuses and the devil blames. And so he's going to say, it's your fault it, that you should have done this. And so here's the thing is, could you have been a better wife? Yeah, sure. All of us could. And you just have to take that to the cross and you say, Jesus, I could have been a better wife. I could have taken his threats more seriously because I hear that a lot. I just didn't believe him. I didn't think he would really go through with it. In some cases, I've had wives that just said, you know, like in a fit of anger, go ahead and do it. Like they've, right? Because we're humans. We, we say stupid things. We say things that we don't mean. We say things in the moment. And you just take that to the cross and you say, Jesus, like First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. We say, please forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, your husband is responsible for his sin. You're responsible for yours. T you know, take yours to the cross. Here's the beauty is we're not accountable for anybody else's sin. We're, we're just not. We're accountable for our own sin. That's why I could never be a Hindu. Oh my gosh. Not only are you accountable for your sin, but in past lives, it's like, good Lord, I'm going to lose my mind here. Um, so I would say, how can I or ever will be able to accept that it's not my shame to carry around? I would say get in counseling with a Christian mm -hmm. counselor. Um, you said in my luggage, I, I, unfortunately, I think this is luggage that you carry. Mm. I, I would love to say that we're going to pray over this. I think we can shrink the luggage. I don't think we can make it disappear in this life. And again, that's why I'm so anti-suicide because it's a part of who you are and it's a part of your story. And, 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 and I think you're probably going to have post-traumatic stress disorder from this. And here's the other thing. Uh, and, and let me just say that, like, if, if I've already lost you, press pause because you don't want to hear what I'm going to say. But like when you're, like if your husband or my wife, they die in a car accident, we don't have to see that. Mm. We don't have to see it. When your spouse takes their life in the home, yeah. you have to see it. And I've seen it. I have, I have seen it. And it is awful. Mm -hmm. It is horrendous. It is unbelievably terrible. And, and no one should ever have to see their loved one like that. And, and so, 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 I mean, there's just all kinds of things associated with that, that I would just encourage you not to do it. And, and I've counseled kids that have found their parent, mm. their sister, their brother, uh, their spouse, um, you know, uh, their best friend. And it's just, it's just awful for your 
your, your, your loved ones to find you that way. Yeah. And um, so I just would encourage you absolutely not to do that. Uh, so will Je- Jesus forgive me for feeling ashamed? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Um, you know, the devil's your accuser. Jesus is your forgiver. Mm-hmm. So stop listening to the devil and take it to Jesus. The Satan has no power at the foot of the cross. Take it to the cross. Um, and let me just say this, April, the devil had an incredible victory in my life for about a decade over shame. And we, we have to take that to the cross. We, we have to take it to the cross. So what our world says is you should never feel shame, which is a joke. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the most unhealthy thing. The same people who think it's ridiculous that we told kids not to have sexual desires. I mean, like shame is as natural to a human being as sexual desires and urges are. The question is, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. So just like the church tried to pretend sexual desire wasn't real, the world is trying to pre- pre- say that shame isn't real. The question is, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And and the cross is the only answer I know. Take it to the cross, take it to Jesus, because he will forgive you of all sin and you take it to him. Um, and again, this is where I think we're messed up theologically is, well, I've, I've, already, I've already confessed my sins to Jesus and asked him into my heart. Well, I'm not telling you to ask him into your heart again. First John 1, 9 doesn't say to ask him in your heart. It says to confess your sins to him. And then James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be whole and healed. And April, this is why you need community. Mm-hmm. This is why you need a group of people. Like I told you last night, our small group was so real. It involved cussing. Like it was just, you guys, it was just, it was, it was volatile, but you, you need, you need people in your life that love God and love you so much that they're not going to. They're not going to lose everything because you said the F-bomb, which is what happened last night. Um, but that's sometimes that's how painful we are. Mm-hmm. And that's what has to come out. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what happened. And we need we need those groups where we can go when we're raw. Um, and, and, and when you're raw, you need people to be real. And... Um, and again, I get so frustrated. I keep, I keep telling our church this, and, 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 and most of you don't believe me. You don't believe me, and you're going to continue to live an inauthentic life, and the devil's having a field day with you. And it's just, it's just sad. So April, I love you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I would say too, April, I think this is something specific to women too. We struggle a lot with comparison, and I think the prevalence in suicide lately and really public responses to suicide don't feel shame in how you've responded to your husband's suicide. If it looks different than how other women maybe have responded, who maybe responded and said like, I, this is okay. We're okay. Everything's great. Yeah. It's okay. If you don't feel that way, you don't need to compare your response and how you feel about your husband's suicide yeah. to how other women may respond. Everyone's different. And it's okay if your response was ugly and hurt and painful because it is. Yeah. I don't know. I just, and I would just say that I, I agree with this. Um, I don't know if I said this before, so if I'm repeating myself, forgive me, but, uh, you know, when Pastor Jared took his life, I mean, that's a, that's a, it's the two largest churches in our city are Harvest and Sandals. And, um, you know, so I, I love Harvest. Um, I gave my life to Christ at Harvest under Greg's teaching. I didn't post anything when Jared died. And, you know, I, I, did, I didn't know what to say. I, you know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think there needed to be an addition. It was just, I needed to grieve mm-hmm. in myself. And I, I think that, the problem today is we feel like we have to instant, instantaneously post and instantaneously comment. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this is a couple of weeks afterwards and I'm talking about it now because I think my head's in a better place. Um, you know, and people are still going to be mad at what I said, but at least I had time to think about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Love you, April. Yeah.
Uh, so someone else wrote in and said, there's so much controversy over this issue that I'm afraid to ask any questions. I don't want to come across as uncaring. I recognize my own ignorance with mental illness and that that needs to change. But what are some good questions I could be asking? Yeah, I, I, again, and I think that the question that needs to be asked is, is it is it a sin? I've said yes. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be some pastors that are going to disagree with me, but I don't care. I, I just don't care. My job is not to win a popularity contest. My job is to tell you the truth. And it's it's a sin. There's there's just there's just no way around it biblically. And and we live in a world where people turn themselves into pretzels to try to get around scripture. And it's it's just a bad thing. It's it's just wrong. Um I, I think we can all learn a lot more about mental illness. I think we have to have compassion. Um I think we have to learn to ask we have to learn to ask good questions. And, and here's a great question in your community group. Is anybody in this group been thinking about suicide? Mm-hmm. It never crosses my mind to ask about that, but we need to because people aren't willing to share. And so then when they share, we need to not, you know, you know, that's wrong. You know, that's terrible. We need to thank them for sharing. We love you. We appreciate you. This is a safe place. I would be so sad if you, if you took your life, that would devastate me. Mm-hmm. What can I do to help you get the help that you need? Um, and again, most of what we do when we struggle with mental illness, depression, uh, anxiety, and fear is we do all of the wrong things. We don't help ourselves. We don't take healthy steps. And again, you know, like here's the, here's the challenge of mental illness. If I break my arm, I can't expect my arm to work. <laughs> so that's the problem when you're talking about a mental illness is, right, the brain is broken and it's not working. And so that's the challenge is because you know, and our world has chosen to allow mentally ill people freedom because there were some abuses in the mental illness homes. Uh, and so basically now you have to, you have to commit an act of violence in order to be uh, in a home or, or to, especially in California, to be mandated that you're, you're, you're somewhere. Uh, like, like, in our, I don't believe in California, you can even make people take medicine. I, I don't think that, that that's, I'm not a, a lawyer for the state of California, so I don't know, but that's a problem um, because their, their brain is not working. And a lot of times with mental illness, people take the medication, they feel better, and then they stop taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one of the things that, you know, you're going to have to struggle with is you may have to take this medication for the rest of your life um, because your character is off when your chemistry is off. And so you need to trust the doctors that if this can help your um, your chemistry, it, it can make you better. Um, but the problem with chemistry adjustments and so much in the medications is it doesn't deal with the pain from the past. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people with mental illness, there are things that happen to them as children. Um, there are things that have happened to them as adults. And so we can't just give pills. We have to go into the pain. We have to go into the area of hurt and we have to provide healing. And um, we have to help people do that. And so I just would encourage people to walk through those steps. I, I battled depression in my mid thirties and um, was just about at the place where I was ready to give up. And I, I, I did literally, I went to, um, a deep healing, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's like an exorcism. I had somebody pray over me, which that's a whole, uh, podcast. I started going to counseling. I started exercising and I changed the way that I ate. And three years later I got better, but so many of us, we want a prayer at the end of service on Sunday and that just doesn't work. So, um, I, I think that what I would say is you're probably blessed and there's no name on this. You don't struggle with mental illness and some of us just don't, but we still need to be compassionate. Um, and again, I think we need some awareness on mental illness, but what we really need is biblical awareness 
And we're just, we're just, we're just totally ignorant. I mean, people just don't know what the Bible has to say about any of this stuff. And, um, you know, when you have ignorant congregations, pastors feel pressure to tell people what they want to hear. And so this is what's so weird. 50 years ago, I think the church would have been totally uncaring to the family, mm. like absolutely uncaring. Now I think we're, we're inconsiderate, not to the family, but to God and his word. And so we've completely gone the other way. So, so I think good questions, um, you know, we probably should have, uh, some of our soul care people on to answer those. Um, cause I'm not, that's not my area of expertise. So yeah. let's table that. Uh, so someone else wrote in said at a memorial I recently went to for someone who had committed suicide. It seemed like we weren't supposed to mourn, but only celebrate his life. I believe in mourning and I think it's the only way to truly heal. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Americans do not lament. Well, we, we just don't, we're not good at it. Uh, you know, that's why, you know, Sandals has 20,000 people on Easter and, you know, 2000 on good Friday, right? We, <laughs> You know, why are we celebrating a resurrection? Because there was a horrible death on Friday and we just don't know how to lament. We don't, we don't know how to grieve. We don't know what to do this. And so Paul says, do not grieve as pagans do for they grieve as if they have no hope. He doesn't say don't grieve. And so I, I don't like celebration services. You know, if your grandma dies and she's 96 years old and she's lived a wonderful life. Yeah. Okay. Let's celebrate that. But if somebody just took their life and they're 30 or they're 25 or they're 17, what is to celebrate? I, ju I just don't understand that. And so I think we need to learn to mourn. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations where we mourn. Um, and I think that we need to do that. And again, we go to Paul. We don't grieve as if we have no hope. We have hope. And again, when somebody commits suicide, we have hope. I hope, I hope they're in heaven. You know, I hope. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to torture myself with Oh, you know, they're in hell or whatever, I, but, I, but I'm going to have hope and I'm going to trust in the work of Christ. And ultimately, even if I don't think somebody's saved, I trust that they stand before Jesus and he is good, merciful, and true. And whatever his judgment, I will say amen. Mm -hmm. I, I trust in Jesus. Um, but again, I think that, I think the church doesn't know what to do. In particular, when a pastor takes his life, we're not sure what to do. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just dark. It's just really, really hard. Uh, anytime life is cut short, I think that we need to not jump on the bad wagon of celebration, but we need to grieve. And I say that as a person who's funny and a comedian. And, um, you know, I just recently lost a, a good friend of mine, Mike, and, you know, he's, he battled cancer for about nine months. And, you know, he, he was funny. We were funny together. And, um, I was with him in his last moments. Um, and he just told me, he said, man, I can't fight anymore. Tell, tell my, tell my wife, I gave, I gave it the best. And, and I mean, I'm literally in the room, you know, I got gloves on a mask on and, and he died the next day. Uh, you know, he, he drifted off into a coma and then died. He was battling cancer. Um, and you know, he gave it his best. He loved the Lord. He was in heaven. And then I walk, I walk in to do his funeral and there's his wife and his two boys. It's not time to celebrate. It's time to mourn because uh, these two guys lost their dad and this woman lost her husband. And we need to be okay with that. And, and, and part of loving somebody is sitting with them in, in their grief and saying, this is, this is bad. This is really bad. And again, I, you know, we've so separated our culture from death. You know, like I, I, I did your family have pictures of like old pictures of family? Yeah. My mom has pictures on our wall in her home of, of relatives in caskets. No, we don't have that. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I mean, that's how families used to be, right? You gather together and you take a picture with uncle Fred in his casket, 
you know, it's a family photo and then you buried him. Um, but you used to wash your loved ones. Mm. You washed them, you prepped them, you prepared them. And so you were hands-on with the grieving process. And so now, and I think that that's, um, that's so important. And like, you know, my grandma died and, uh, I was so frustrated because they, they, um, you know, they cremated her and buried her before we got there. Mm. And so we had a memorial service and I, I really felt robbed of, of seeing her, of saying goodbye. Right. Uh, and, and some people don't want to see the body, but I do. Mm. That's that, that, that body held me. That body loved me. That body washed me and cleaned me. And, and I want to say goodbye to that body. And you say, well, they're not there. Well, I, I love them there in that body. And I, and I want to say goodbye to that. And, and, and that was really hard for me. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I need to talk with this about my wife, about my wife, with my wife, because um, I want to be, I want to be compassionate to her and my kids. But when I die, it's not just their grieving. It's thousands of people who have loved me, listened to me, learned from me. And, and even in, I want my death to be just like my life. I want to live my life as an offering to God and to others. And in my death, I want my life to be an, an offering to God and to others and if people need to see me in a box and I, I'm going to look dead, right. Spoiler. Um, then I think they need, they need to see that. And if my kids don't want to see me that way, that's okay. That's their choice. But, um, yeah. And let me just say this, you know, funerals aren't about the dead person anyways. They're about the living people, the people that are left and, and need to grieve. And, um, so that, those are my thoughts, but I, I think mourning is important, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes says there's a season for everything. There's a time to dance. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. And we, we, we're saying, Solomon, you're wrong. If we just celebrate. And what it is, is it's inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It's inauthentic. When, when a young person tragically dies, it is not a celebration. We are mourning because we, something was stolen from us, Right. Something's taken from us and we need to grieve that. Uh, now, ultimately, we don't stay there mm. because God is good and the resurrection is real. But, but man, that doesn't help me now. So, all right. All right. So we're going to wrap up the conversation now, just digging a little bit more into mental illness. And some folks wrote in with some questions and said, are people with mental illness ultimately responsible for their yeah, actions? It depends upon the level of mental illness. And again, that's why... Um, we need to have honest conversations. So like I was talking with a guy in our church who's uh, schizophrenic and, you know, he hears voices. And I said, what do the voices tell you to do? Well, some voices tell me to hurt people and some voices tell me to help people. And I said, listen to the good voice. Listen to the good voice. Um, you know, because I, 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 I can't help him any, anywhere beyond that. Um, but so what I would say is, here's, what, here's, here's where we're wrong. And I'm going to talk about this this weekend. We, we want to talk about, you know, is the person responsible in their worst moment? So when, when you commit suicide, right, that's your worst moment. You're, you're the most depressed. You're in the darkest place. And ultimately you act on, um, you know, uh, either evil influence, mental illness, right? You're, you're not listening. You're not listening to God in that moment. And so people say, well, are they held accountable for that moment? Well, I want to back the train up. Here's what, if you struggle with mental illness, I'm going to hold you accountable for your best moments, not your worst moments. And let me just say this. If you were a person who struggles with suicide at your best moments, get rid of the gun. Mm. If you 
battle mental illness, I hold you responsible for having a gun in your home. Get rid of the gun. Take it to the police. Bring it to the church. Unloaded in a, in a, in a container locked, right? Because we don't... Yeah, just, just get rid of the gun. You should not have a gun. It is a sin for you to own a gun, right? For example, I struggle with lust. It's a sin for me to have pornographic magazines, which nobody has anymore, but I'm that old. It's a sin for me to have those in my home and ask God to give me victory over those magazines. So at my best, I have to protect myself from when I'm at my worst. And so when am I at my worst? And that's the thing with mental illness is you don't know. You don't know if the day is going to be good or bad. You don't know what's going to trigger you. You don't know what's going to happen to you. So you, you, have to, you have to make the decisions when you're at your best. And so I'm going to protect myself from myself. Um, so I'm going to get rid of medications that I have. I'm going to get rid of ropes. I'm going to get rid of guns. I'm going to get rid of things that I know. Because here's what we know about suicide. People who've jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and, and, and survived, many of them have said, the moment I jumped, I, ch- I regretted my decision. Mm-hmm. So if you can just give yourself some time, you know, where you, you, have, you, you, have, you, you can go through that, uh, you know, those feelings, you, you might come out of it and we, and we can help you. So let's, let's try to give you a window of opportunity and... And, and, and come up with a, an attack plan to protect yourself. Who am I going to call? What am I going to do? You know? Um, and so, yes, so yes, people are responsible, maybe for not the moment of the decision, but for the many decisions that led up to that moment. And so, like, for example, um, we were, we were talking with um, a couple the, the other day and we were out to dinner and his brother died of lung cancer at 32 years old, never smoked in his life. Like that breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. I have compassion for that. If he would have told me his brother's 55 and smoked a pack every day of cigarettes, I'd be like, well, and that's not, that's not me being harsh. That's just look every single day of your life. You made a decision. We said, well, he's addicted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But we're responsible even for our addictions. We're responsible for our struggles. Look, if we have to surrender the gospel to every single freaking issue, then there's no hope. There's, there's no hope. If Jesus can't defeat anything in your life, what's the purpose of Jesus in your life? So I'm going to hold people responsible for their decisions um, with whatever level of struggling you have. When you're at your best, make good decisions and and make good habits. And and so, like I said, so I've been working out almost every day since my 30s because when I don't physically exert myself, I am overwhelmed with anxiety and I tend to be depressed more. I, I make myself do this. When I wake up in the morning and I feel depressed, I did it. I did it Sunday morning when I preached. I jumped in my 55 degree pool. Do you know why? Scientifically, it proves that if you take if you get in very cold water, your body freak it shocks you and you're like, oh, you know, and and, and it helps. And because you quit thinking about how crappy you feel, and you're just like, man, I'm freezing. But it changes your mind. You know, uh, there's all kinds of things you can do. So so I would say, yes, we're all responsible for actions, because if you're not responsible, let's say I'm mentally ill and I go to the mall, and I shoot up a bunch of people. I'm still responsible for what I did, even though I might be at the time crazy. And we hear this all the time from people that hurt people. This is the defense almost all the time. I just blacked out. I have no memory. Well, okay. Well, what did you do leading up to that? Mm -hmm. What happened? Like you you don't remember killing your ex-girlfriend. Do you remember getting in the car and driving your house being upset? Yes. So I'm going to hold you accountable for those things. You never should have done those things. So 
I'm going to hold you accountable before you lost your mind for your decisions. And I'm not going to surrender the argument to the final act. And I, again, that's, that's the problem is what have we done that's led to this? And, and, and you say, well, mentally ill people are not responsible for anything, for anything at all. And again, it depends upon the level of mental illness, you know, and, and, and the struggle, um, you know, that's just the reality. Um, and so we have to understand that. So, yeah. Uh, so someone else also wrote in and said, how do we then help people with mental illness heal? This person says they don't believe that what we're doing is working. Oh, uh, well, it's clearly not working. And so, so we're overwhelmed. Um, and that's where I think the, the work of Rick and Kay Warren, whose son, um, you know, ultimately lost his battle with mental illness um, through suicide. I think their work is so important, um, trying to help people. It's a nightmare system, trying to get help. Um, you know, our system's overrun. Uh, I would love I would love that to be, you know, like, so the Democrats are talking about like free, free health care for all, which, okay, you know, let's give everybody free cheeseburgers too. That's a little ridiculous, but I think we could say, Look, we, we need to make mental health care free for everybody. So yeah. that's something that I could I could agree on instantaneously, uh, because it's a real problem. And a lot of these mass shootings, a lot of the ills in our society, homeless problem, a lot of this comes down to mental illness. And so I think that the church can be an advocate to say, "Hey, look," because you, you can't expect a mentally ill person to work. They can't they can't get insurance. They can't they can't do those things. They can't function normally. Uh, we need to make it more readily available, and we need to have places that I think ultimately can help them get better because um, letting them roam the streets is not helping. And, and many families feel trapped. Uh, many families feel victimized by a, a child or a husband or a wife with mental illness. And um, I think we need to be advocates for that. Um, I think the church needs to be a safe place. And here's the thing. Cancer is a whole lot easier to deal with the sooner you recognize it. The same is true of mental illness. When, when you start to feel depressed, when you start to notice that things are wrong, let's start that process now. So talk about it in small group, talk about it in community group, because, you know, illness can get worse if it's left alone. And so what we want to do is encourage people, take away the stigmatism of medication, which I think we, I think it's, it's totally okay. Um, you know, like I'm not okay if you want to smoke marijuana just because you've self-diagnosed, but if a doctor tells you to smoke marijuana and it's a legit doctor, not like your cousin Vinny, right? Then, then I'm supportive of that. And we've actually had that conversation with employees at Sandals Church. Say, look, if this is a legit issue, we have spiritual counsel and we said, okay, I think this is a good thing. Let's do this because it benefits you. I'm, I'm all for that. Um, but don't self-medicate. Uh, go to somebody that's licensed and trained and, and, and let's also do the physical work. Um, and let's do the spiritual work. Um, because I think where the medical community is wrong is it's not just mental and biological. It's also physical. We need you to exercise. We need you to take care of your body. We need you to be, you know, sleeping and trying to do those things. And we need you to be praying and, and being involved in community. And again, part of the rise, I think, in all of this mental unhealth is we're isolated in social media. Listen to me. If you struggle with anxiety, get off social media media. Mm -hmm. And I say that as you're listening to my podcast, like, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying lower my listeners because I care more about your soul than I do the likes on my Instagram page or, 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 or my podcast. Social media is not good for a lot of people. It is literally messing with people's minds. And so, um, we feel disconnected, isolated. We constantly are comparing ourselves and it's just, it's wreaking 
havoc on us. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why I think you see an epidemic amongst teenagers, young people, we're completely dissatisfied with our lives. Because if I'm constantly looking at everybody whose life is fake, but they're saying it's perfect every day, I feel terrible about my reality. Yeah. And so I would say, I would say, get off that. And so, uh, but ultimately seek out a healthcare professional, um, go to talk somebody, uh, the church, we can help with, you know, I think minor things, mm-hmm. but when it's major, you, you've got to go to a hospital. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, you know, I always tell the story about when the girl walked up the wall backwards and people are like, what'd you do? I like, called 911. That's what and <laughs> people, people, people look at me like, they're like, why would you do that? I was like, cause I, she was going to kill us, man. I, it was crazy. You know, and she, she got arrested and was 5150. And then we, we helped and prayed for her. Um, over a period of 90 days when she was healthy and medicated and she found healing. But man, in that moment, she was crazy. She was crazy. And I believe demonic. And I'm not saying that all mental illness is demonic, but when, when Jesus encounters mental issues back in the day, first thing he does usually is rebukes, rebukes the enemy Mm -hmm. and uh, hospitals aren't going to do that. So in the church, we need to do that, but we need to look at some of the things that the devil's feeding on in your life. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk about those things. What a, so I, I might not be able to exercise this demon immediately, whatever it is, but let's look at the sin. What, what's going on in your life? And that's the problem with these suicides is we're just talking about suicide and we're not talking about what are all the things that were going on in their life that were exacerbating their stress, mm-hmm. that were enhancing and, and magnifying their mental illness. And, and were they reducing those things? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Right. Is that the last one? This is our last question oh, okay. right now. Uh, so this person wrote in and said, someone posted that the church needs to wake up and not put people with deep mental health struggles in leadership. There's more to the post, but people attacked him. She said, I don't, I didn't actually like the post, but are we not allowed to question this? I believe we're all broken, but that doesn't mean everyone should be in leadership. There was a time that my husband and I struggled deeply and it was important to me that we wrestled with if and when to step down from yeah, our roles. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm friends. Uh, well, I, I don't know if I'm friends with Dale, but I actually called Dale that wrote that post and he was much closer to Darren than I was or Jared, or Jared geez, yeah. Jared than I was. And um, again, we have to give people great grace for how they grieve. Some people went over the top compassion you know, and, you know, that was offensive to me and he went over the top with anger and, you know, he's probably high one on the Enneagram. I don't think he believes in the Enneagram, but, (laughs) but he's probably high one. Right. So he's, he's the reformer. How can we make this right? And so his go-to is criticism of the process, but he's grieving Mm. and he cares. And so what's sad is, is everybody bombed on him, but nobody bombed on the other people that were saying just as whacked things you know, they were, they were erring on love and grace where he was probably erring on a lack of love and grace. Um, I, I think that a, a lot of pastors, um, and I'm actually going to talk about this with our denomination and some other groups that we care about. So the, the issue with pastors is, is how can they support their families while they're battling this uh, issue? Mm-hmm. And we really don't have a fund um, to help that. Um, you know, because Sandals Church can carry my salary for a period of time. They can't carry it indefinitely. So that's just the reality. So how could, if I became mentally ill, what would be the church's response and and how could they do that? Uh, I think that the church needs to create a fund, have an insurance. um, And I think our church has Affleck for me um, because that's a reality. And not every church thinks about that, but it says, um, oh, he said we need to wake up and not put people in with such deep mental health struggles in leadership. Yes, absolutely. Listen to me. People people think ministry is a joke. It's the most stressful job. 
I, I can imagine. Like we're, we're dealing with people in their darkest, most terrible issues. You know, I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I think the day, you know, Jared took his life, he'd done a funeral for somebody mm. who had taken their life. Like I, I can't tell you what that's like to walk through literally the valley of the shadow of death with somebody. It is awful. It's terrible. You know, you're constantly dealing with marriages breaking up, children's dying. Uh, you know, just just this Sunday, um, I was out at the lobby, I think two services. You know, I'm praying with a family whose daughter's 13 years old battling leukemia. I prayed with, uh, um, you know, a grandmother that's battling cancer. And like you, you're, you're engaging in the, the worst of people's moments on a regular basis. So if you add on top of that mental illness or challenges, we have to go back to, and this is what I think where Dale was right. And I think he would say his timing was wrong, but his post was right and much needed. It, his voice is a much needed voice to the conversation. And again, that's the thing that drives me crazy about our culture is as soon as somebody disagrees with us, we jump on them. And I, and I think his voice was needed. Um, and I called him and told him that. So um, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, so both um, for, uh, 1 Timothy and Titus give a list of qualifications for pastors. And let me just say this. They don't have to be perfect. That's not the qualifications, but they, but there's reasonable qualifications. And one of those is of being sober mind. And literally what it means is emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy or, or you know, like, so, and, and I say physically because physical health often affects uh, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And so we, we have to make sure that this person is of sound mind. That's what it means. And a person battling mental illness is not in that moment of sound mind. Now, if there's a great testimony later and they get to a point where there's a couple years of health and added stress won't cause them to sink back in depression, back into darkness, then absolutely, I think um, that would be a great story. But to put somebody in that, it, it's just it's just not right. It violates the clear teaching of scripture, the clear teaching of what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a deacon, what it means to be a leader in the church. And um, I think that's absolutely um, right that um, pastors are people, but the reality is you have to be in some place of mental health in order to lead the church because you're putting additional burdens on yourself. Like you're, you're, you're the mother of one child. Mm -hmm. That's a burden, right? You love her, but it's a burden. It is, it is a work. Mm -hmm. Then you become the shepherd of all these families, all these people. I, you know, I oversee 200 uh, employees, you know, uh, almost 20,000 people are listening to our sermons, right? That's an enormous weight to carry. So if I get wobbly, then I need to step down. Hopefully it's just for a period or a season, but I need to be able to step away. And, and here's the thing that was sad for me when I was at my worst in my mid thirties is I didn't feel like I could. Yeah. That's my sin. And, and I was depressed and I was discouraged and on the verge of delusion. Um, and I really needed to step away. Um, thankfully, you know, uh, I was able to get help and I was, I, I'm a very self-disciplined person. I was able to, to do the things that I needed to do to be okay, but not everybody has the same strengths and not everybody has the same weaknesses. So, um, I think pastors are broken. Um, they're sinners, but again, and this is just that you've heard me say this, not all sin is the same. It's just not, I, I can't stand that Christians say that it's so stupid. Um, I mean, literally the words greater sin are used about five times in scripture, specifically, uh, the apostle Paul's conversation with Pilate, 
Those who have brought me to you are guilty of the greater sin. Pilate is guilty of the sin for condemning an innocent man, Jesus. The Jews who brought him are guilty of betraying one of their own and handing one of their own over to a foreign government and power. It's a greater sin. It's terrible. And that's just the reality. Um, so there are things that are in our lives where we have to step down and uh, we do have to do church discipline and we, and we do have to say, hey, you're not healthy. You're not a place in time where you should be. And I just got to be honest with you. Um, I don't think I've done a very good job at this. And I think um, Dale's post, uh, losing Jared, has really caused me to go, okay, I, I have got to go back to the Word of God. I have to repent of my decisions. I've placed people in ministry that are great personalities, great giftedness, but they're not ready. And I've done that. And that affects the church. And, you know, that's that's just the reality. We all have to own it. We all have to own it and say, hey, look, the role of a pastor is a significant role. It's an important role. And if the if Satan wants to destroy the flock, he's going to try to kill the shepherd. Mm -hmm. That's what he's going to try to do. And we need to make sure that we're, we're checking in with pastors to say, how are you doing? Um, what's going on in your life? And, and here's the thing with accountability. Don't ask general questions. I mean, I've asked a couple of my friends lately, do you have suicidal thoughts? Like I've, I've literally like to their face, asked them that question because I want to know. Mm -hmm. um, Cause not, not vaguely, Hey, do you ever get discouraged? Yeah. That's not, that's not giving somebody, there's a difference between being discouraged and being suicidal. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Um, you know, there's a difference between, you know, uh, being depressed and being chronically depressed. Um, and so you got to ask those questions. So she says, or yeah, there was a time that my husband and I struggled deeply and that important. Yeah. I think it's okay to step down and we need to not make pastors feel like they have to stay. It's not a failure to step out if, if you're not mentally, emotionally, or physically healthy enough to do the job. I think that's actually helpful to the church. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully we're going to pray for our pastors more. We're going to encourage them more, you know, pray for harvest as they unpack, you know, the damage that's been inflicted to a wife now that has two little boys that's lost a dad. And as she unpacks that and processes that, um, you know, pray for just, you know, the flock that's trying to understand what to feel. And, and I know it's affected our church and he didn't even go here and it's affected literally the global church. Mm -hmm. uh, he's probably the most well-known pastor in the world, at least for a week or two. And so people are thinking about this. I mean, the gal cut my hair a couple weeks ago. She was like, I don't go to church, but you know that guy? And I was like, wow, mm -hmm. people are talking about this. So the, 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 the silver lining, so to speak, is that it's a conversation. But um, let me just say this. You know, I think, I think Jared, I haven't read his book, but he, he talked about his struggles. It's not enough to be real with your struggles. You actually have to take steps to begin changing your life. And one of those steps may, may be, mean you need to change your job. And so recently, um, I've had to have some conversations with Tammy and I about some additional stresses in our life that I had to eliminate. Mm -hmm. And so there were financial consequences for us eliminating those things, uh, saying no to extra money, but I can't handle that. And so it's not like more money is not beneficial to my family if I'm more stressed and I get depressed and discouraged and, and, and have an affair or lose my mind or, you know, get depressed and, and kill myself, right? Those, those are not good things. And so I have to take the steps to do that. And I think it's okay to step down. It's okay to take breaks at Sandals. We have sabbaticals. Um, and, I, and I think that's important, um, but we're all learning. And again, um, you know, before you fire off your email and 
post, just know that my my heart's in the right place, but I'm trying to get our our, our, our spirits in the right places, fully submitted to Christ and to what his word says. And uh, I love you, but truth is truth. And, and that's the reality. And I, ho- I hope that, that blesses you. So um, come this week in a church, we're going to be talking about in our, our remix series, how to deal with depression, discouragement, and delusion, and how the enemy attacks all three of us. If we come at life from our head, heart, or instinct, and what are some things that we can do practically to try to deal with the enemy's attacks as he accuses us, we're not good enough, the world doesn't get us, or we should just be angry about everything. So, um, you know, I love you guys. Yeah. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Would you mind uh, just praying for yeah, yeah, absolutely. We wrap up I don't mind today? at all. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just pray for all those who listen. God, I pray specifically for those who are battling mental illness, depression, discouragement, delusion. God, I pray that um, they would just know right now it's it's your will for them to be alive, to live their life. God, that you have a purpose for their life and a plan for their life. And God, the enemy would want to steal, destroy, and kill, but you want them to have an abundant life, a better life. And I pray, Lord, that you would surround them with people they can be honest with, uh, people that are wise and people that know the Bible. And God, that those people would encourage them to to begin to change what they can change, Lord, and to uh, seek medical help, um, specifically uh, go to a doctor and just and just flat out be able to say, I, I, I've been thinking about taking my life. I've been chronically depressed. I've been chronically anxious. Um, and to seek out medical help, um, Lord, so we don't lose another person. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode and conversation with us today. If you or someone you know is really struggling with their mental health or thoughts of suicide, we would love to provide some resources for you. If you're here local to our Sandals Church campuses, our Soul Care Ministry is a great resource. You can reach out to them by going to move.sc slash help. Or if you're outside our area, there are some great counseling resources you can find online. Just go to aacc.net to find a counselor near you. And if you are struggling with thoughts of suicide and just need someone to talk to, the suicide hotline is available for you. That number is 1-800-273-8255. Please reach out for help. Don't be afraid to ask. We're here to support you. We love you so much. And if you're struggling with grief or how to walk with people through grief, our Cultivate podcast just released an episode uh, with the wife of someone who has committed suicide, talking through how to be kind to someone in grief and how to process through grief. So please check that out as another resource. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening.